Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm Jonathan Edwards, your host, and with me, of course, the liberal dose of Lysol to my curbside pickup port game, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I am doing fantastic, my friend. Oh my god, get those lockdown blues? No, no, no. I'm I'm not joking, man. I if I sound down right now, it's only because you have you have taken me away from my prize. And it is so good. It is so good. I have reached into the air itself, Jonathan, and using just weird alchemy, I have created the most delicious bread I've ever had in my entire life. And it is glorious. You you sent me a picture. That looked like sourdough starter. That was sourdough starter. And it was amazing. It was amazing. People who are out there where you're, especially in Texas, apparently where you can't get yeast, at least you couldn't two weeks ago. Uh, you don't need to do that. There's like yeast all around you. You're you're breathing it in and junk. Like you know, just 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 make sourdough starter. It's 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 amazing. I, I it's it's just flour and water and time, man. You and guess what? We got plenty of right now. Maybe not the flour. <laughs> no, not flour. Not around here. But we got time. We got time. But yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. This is getting a little ahead of myself. I put this on my list. But yes. Uh, uh, I was thinking about making sourdough starter, but you know, the 10 days required to make it work right just seemed like too big of a hurdle to overcome. But then somebody in our neighborhood, uh, had made sourdough starter. And then when you are going to bake with it, you're supposed to feed it the day before, which means you're supposed to throw away half and then, you know, put flour and water into it. And so instead of throwing it away, she just says, Hey, does anybody want sourdough starter? Cause this is what I'm throwing away. And then if you say yes, you, you show up at her house. And uh, it's in a little jar waiting for you. And it's really cute. Out in front of her table, out in front of her house is a little table that says, thank you, delivery men. And on it is a uh, a bottle of Lysol cleaner, a little bit of hand sanitizer, a little thing with a whole bunch of snacks in it. And uh, and then, uh, in my case, the uh, the jar of uh, sourdough starter. So I'm like, that's nice. Snacks and Lysol for the, the delivery people. It's cool stuff. That is nice. That's That's what we need right now. So, yes, I took her sourdough starter and I fed it at home and then I made bread out of it. And making sourdough bread is is weird. It is a process and it is not terribly a time consuming process, but it is a time line process. It took me all told uh, about 20 hours to make that loaf of sourdough, you know, but very little actual effort was involved. <laughs> if that makes any sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. But uh yeah, oh, it's so delicious, Jonathan. I want to go make a sandwich out of it and eat it, but I can't cuz I'm sitting here talking to you about games and nonsense. All right, well, let's get uh, let's get you back to your bread. I could be eating gluten and 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 carbs. Oh. Uh, we named our starter Sally, Sally the stout, sourdough starter. <laughs> probably shouldn't have done that. Owen's gotten kind of oddly attached and she feels weird eating Sally, but I'm like, Sally's not like you and me. Sally, you know, 
there's a lot of Sally's in there. And if you cut her in half, there's just more Sally because it's, it's bacteria. They just divide. It's not like, you know, they're, they're individuals. There's a bunch of Sally. And it sounds like they're now conquering your taste buds. Oh, yeah. It's so good, Jonathan. It's amazing. It's, it's so weird, right? Like, there's just yeast in the air, man. You could just gather it. And now, you know what I'm thinking? I, I don't know how this is possible. I'm like, I wonder if I could get, like, a bag of air or get you to make a sourdough starter and somehow we could trade it. And I wonder if Texas sourdough starter would taste different than Oregon sourdough starter. It's blowing my mind. It's it's worth a shot, but we better do it before the uh, post office gets unfunded. Oh! <laughs> oh! Headline news, people. That's <laughs> not going to backfire. No, oh not my. at all. Not at all. <laughs> well, moving right along out of current events and into our normal flow. Of course, a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on. And hopefully we are trading you with a little bit of a smile on your face in these uh, very odd times. It's now now week, I think, week five of the uh, quarantine for me. Yeah, I don't I don't remember where we're at, to be honest with you. It's been a long, long time. Yeah, it's been Jonathan. a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. But uh, for good reason, for good reason. Well, uh, let's uh, let's kick off. Let's kick off. Uh, first of all, uh, it is a day and this day is which Happy National Library Workers Day. Uh, the first Tuesday of uh, National Library Week is National Library Workers Day. Started in 2004 to raise awareness of library salaries, which had been stagnant for years up until that point. And apparently it worked. They're getting paid much better now up here in like 2019. Well, maybe not because all the libraries are closed around here. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, I miss my library. I don't know if I've said that out loud several times. Actually, I was just listening to the last episode of the podcast. I said that out loud several times. So, <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, I did. I miss I miss my library so much, Jonathan. So very, very much. Patience, my friend. Patience. I didn't realize how nice it was if I got a wild hair up my butt to like just look at a book to just go somewhere and get it and have it for a week to look through it at my leisure. It's so nice. And and read occasionally, which I haven't done either, even though I have a pile of books that I still got from the library that I haven't read. Looking at you, ornament of the world. You're just taunting me. All right, well, it is, of course, time for our off-the-shelf segment. That is our segment where we tell you all the things that we've gotten off of our shelves, onto our tabletops, and or players, and or internets, and into our hearts. So we got a message back from Ray after the last episode. I, I don't yep, know if you A very remember. specifically worded message. Yes, yes. I hereby officially confirm receipt of the heretofore... Is, 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 wow. Wow, those are big words, man. Issuance? Issue? I Wow. Man, that is that is like an SAT word right there. Do you want me to take this? No, man, I got this. I feel I like your mind is a little blown right now. Hey, my mind is. Full. Are your dispensaries open? Yeah. Oh yeah. God damn it. Why? No reason. I li- don't live in a very good state. <laughs> that is the end of my commentary. Confirm receipt uh, heretofore issuance of notification of organizational responsibility of the planning, creation, and implementation of a communally agreed upon meeting using the software package titled Tabletop Simulator, with full respect for all trademarks and copyrights thereof. When uh, Brennan got in on this and said, hey, he wants to join in on the fun, Ray uh, told him, pursuant to the satisfaction of all irrelevant bureaucratic interests, all requests or for proposals of the <laughs> wow. All requests for proposals of requests for amendments and heretofore request proposal of the prior stated request of the organizational action must be signed in triplicate, sent in, sent back, quarried, lost, found, subjected to public inquiry, lost again, and finally buried in soft peat for at least three months and recycled as firefighters. <laughs> That's the best part. Yes, yes. Hey, Ray, 
I read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy 2, my friend, and I love you for it. So, and we decided what game we're going to play? Uh, yeah, actually, well, now I'm jumping ahead to video games. But um, yes, Ray and I actually jumped on yesterday, and we were fooling around with the Bob Ross uh, fan-made module. which and is, it didn't text me? I had 20 minutes to hang out with him. It was late where he was, and I was about to put my daughter to bed. There was no time. We just we went I in for a little bit. I would have been there. It was a special moment between me and Ray, and we didn't want you there. You wow. know what? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm polyfrenderous, my friend. I, I, I share my love with many. I'm not 100% sure how to take that, but I'll allow it. <laughs> Speaking of Ray and Brendan, uh, we asked last episode if anybody had any regional weirdness from you know grocery stores being slammed, and uh, Ray said things are generally okay there. Some things are out, some things aren't, but he said it was weird the first time he went to the store after you know all the quarantine started. There are no potatoes. People just bought up all the potatoes. It's like, okay, I guess. Makes sense. It is a weird one. Yeah. It is a weird one. Veggies have been in pretty good supply here. Um, he said everything else. I, 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 yeah, I, I said everything. He's like, yeah, you, peppers, fruit, whatever. No potatoes. Everybody's like, I'm getting them potatoes. <laughs> pa- paper products are starting to make a comeback here. Yeah. Uh, as, as is meat. But then, of course, I read on the news yesterday that apparently a couple of meat packing plants have now had to close. So... That meat that was making comebacks probably not going to continue that comeback. Yeah, the the big one that like I, I forget which state it was in, but like there's like four hundred odd Colorado, ca- I think. Yeah, there's four hundred odd uh, cases in the state, and two hundred and forty of them are in that meat packing plant. Whoopsies. Yeah, uh, and they account for five to six percent of the pork that is shipped around the United States. So good times. Um, but yeah, and then Brennan said uh, not, same thing. You know, there's been weird little, you know, but he hasn't had problems getting toilet paper or anything. Uh, although he says he hasn't seen a bottle of bleach for over a month. So there you go. Yeah, I can't say that I've looked for bleach specifically. Yeah. I haven't seen sanitizer on the shelves for yeah two months at this point. Yeah. You know what I went down to Costco and bought today? Paper towels and toilet paper. It came back, baby. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So now That's I don't have to. Side. So I had to buy like the bad toilet paper from costco because like that's all they had and i was worried we're gonna run out and we just started dipping into it and then i got the good stuff i got the Charmin. i'm so excited so the uh the bad stuff is gonna go back into the bottom of the rotation as the hope we don't have to get there and we'll let the kids use it because their butts are like firmer or more robust than our old old sad butts that just can't take the abuse i guess i don't know i got nothing All right, well, let's head on into Off the Shelf. Robert, uh, of course, the Off the Shelf segment is our segment where we talk about all the things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables or TVs, and most importantly, deep, deep, deep into the crevasses of our hearts. Or maybe for Gina, I should say, the crevasses of our corazón. You know what? uh, I think we overplayed it. She she was not as amused by it this last time. I I think we did too much. I did what you asked me to do. I know, I know. I think what we need to do, I think what we need to do, my friend, is we need to uh, we need to take it and we need to shelve it and age it like a fine wine. And then when it comes bursting back into life, it'll be funny again. But I think I think we overplayed that joke with my wife. Unfortunately, I apologize. You killed the mojo, man. You killed the mojo. Well, just call me Killington Killjoy then. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> All right, well, um, start us off. You said that you, uh, no, wait, you have already told us about your board games, have you not? Yeah, I have, I have, so go. All right, well, I had a chance to play photosynthesis with the kids. Uh, They were talking about it in school, and, well, 
online school now. Yeah. From the living room. Yeah. Living room school. Living room school. And, uh, yeah, so we played photosynthesis. They liked the 3D elements. They liked the concept of the shadows and how it affected gameplay. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Really, really enjoyed it. Nice. And then I've also been playing a fair amount of Zombicide Invader. Uh, but we'll be talking about more, more about that in the deep dive. So I'm not going to say anything else right now. Spoiler alert for future in the episode. Future Jonathan says hi. Hey, future Jonathan. Pastor Robert says he still wishes he was eating sourdough bread. <laughs> I'll check back in with future Jonathan later. And let's go ahead and move on. To any miniatures for you? No. Who has time to paint? We have all the time in the world. Why would I sit down and paint? How about uh, let's move on into movies and TV? Okay. I got a start lot of that. Off. All right. Start us off. Start us off. Uh, okay. I'm going to save the best movie for last because I, I, I watched a very good movie. So let's start with the... The worst stuff first, although it's not... Anyway, you'll see what I mean when we get there. So, I don't know how it happened, Jonathan. I don't know why it happened. I don't know why fate or God or whatever decided to bless me, but I said that Godzilla had a baby in one of the movies, and Eowyn wanted to see it, so I showed Eowyn Godzilla Jr. from uh, the late... uh, the late hensai whatever the the series of godzilla films that started with godzilla 1985 and awen fell in love and she wanted to see that movie and i got real excited jonathan i got so excited because i don't get to bring out the godzilla movies all that often you know it doesn't Mm -hmm. happen doesn't happen so i bought 1993's apex of filmmaking godzilla versus mecha godzilla 2 featuring the first appearance of godzilla jr when he hatches from an egg and uh, I got to say, that experience was possibly equal to the Army of Darkness from last episode. It was quite good. Wow. So good. So here's the thing. I got really worried because we were watching it and I realized it did not have an English dub. So we had to read it. And I, I was worried. I was worried that uh, Eowyn would not stay engaged. But what happened was, first, we started reading the lines out loud because in, oddly enough, in second grade, like reading things quickly and then saying them out loud is like something they're practicing at. So like we were literally doing homework while that was happening. It was kind of awesome. Secondly, it led to me and my daughter riffing on a movie and picking on it while we were watching it live. And you know, my, my daughter's eight, she just spouts insanity. Like just, just her unfiltered brain is confusing and and weird, but every so often she got a good zinger out, you know, she would say something and it was random enough or topical enough that it was it was quite good. And and I had a, a, a few hearty laughs at, at what she said. And I think there's a future for her. I think uh, MST3K, like the, the 40th revival or whatever, I think I think she might have a shot, at least in the writing team, if not the host. So it was it was quite good. And we had so much fun. We then went and rented the weak link in my movie chain, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla from 1994. And oh my God, that movie was bad godzilla vs. space godzilla is actually the uh, the only godzilla movie i've never seen okay that's a lie i haven't seen I, godzilla I, tokyo I sos have good memories of that one no it is it is by far the worst godzilla movie i've ever seen and and that is saying a lot <laughs> i've seen godzilla versus megalon in the original in the original unaltered dub that talks like this and uh, oh my gosh jonathan it was it was just dull it was so so dull and the plot didn't make any sense and and it was so 
And and the last fight, you know, because like I, I've said it before and I'll keep on saying it like Godzilla movies hinge on the human characters and how you feel about them. And that's always true. But I think I do got to add the the monster action needs to like, I don't know, be good. Because, like, Godzilla or Space Godzilla just, like, stood there most of the movie. Like, he had all these crystals around him that he'd grow out of the ground. And he just sort of stood in the center of them and roared and shot his weird little loopy lightning. And it was it was so dull. Like, the fight scenes were dull and the plot didn't make any sense because it was, like, some woman who runs the ESP school that's part of the Godzilla task force. Um, they get her to try to mentally control Godzilla with telepathy and it doesn't work, but then it turns out it does. And the scientist was just hiding it because the scientist works for the Yakuza out of nowhere and kidnaps the girl. Why does he kidnap the girl? You know, it's like a gnome plan. It's like Yakuza kidnaps the Godzilla girl to control Godzilla. Because profit because Yakuza. <laughs> right. And, and it's like, what, what? And then they have this weird, like, shootout that reminds me of an episode of Miami Vice because the soundtrack was so bad. And a couple of the Yakuza goons were white dudes. And I'm whoa, like, whoa, what? whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Did what? you just call the soundtrack to Miami Vice bad? Yes. Well, it, it's bad. The musical soundtrack. Yes. Not, not, not like the, the montages of them driving in cars to, to 80s new wave hits. I'm not saying that's bad. Do, I'm, do, oh, you're talking about like the original stuff? Like yeah, the original stuff. The original score, okay. Yeah. Because for a minute there, I was gonna, I was gonna have to take great offense. Because dude, dude, 80, no, no, I, I have no beef against eighties new wave, but uh it was dull. It was just, it was just dull, and the plot didn't make any sense. It, it was. I'm trying to decide which plot was worse, that one or Godzilla King of the Monsters. I'm still gonna have to give it to King of the Monsters being the worst plot because there were characters that like didn't make any sense in that movie. Given the Miami Vice one didn't make any sense, but it didn't make any sense in a way that was not. I don't know. It's oh, it was so bad. Don't watch it. It's a terrible Godzilla movie. It was so bad. And the monster scenes were just boring. I, I don't get it. And baby Godzilla wasn't even in it enough. Like they made like this say, adorably I, cute I, I baby do Godzilla. I have good memories of that at all. No. No. Apparently it was made by a duo who are most widely known for making teen idol movies in Japan. And uh, uh, Aikafube, the guy who usually does the soundtracks to Godzilla movies, he kind of read the script and said, now nah, pass. <laughs> this, this, this looks like a pile of crap. And he was right. He made a good choice. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. What else have you been watching? Uh, we've continued with DuckTales. We finished DuckTales. We finished all the, the 40 episodes. Yes. Yes. Uh, quite good. Still quite good. I'm I'm looking forward to season three. It is uh, it is a very good reboot. I need to show my kids Ducktales. I think they'd have a blast with it. the The new one is way better than the old one. Like 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 not even worth watching the old one to to like get a sense of how how they don't compare. All right, moving right along. And uh, uh, hold up. And then uh, the last thing I watched the the great the great thing that I watched uh, Doctor Sleep. Oh my tread god! Tread lightly. Tread lightly. Oh wow. Wow. I haven't watched it yet, and I really, really want to watch it, and I want to know absolutely nothing when I go into it. So tread lightly, my friend. Uh, oh, man. The most vague of vague comments only. I really like the way it was directed. <laughs> that That's a good thing. I was just going to say, is it, is it worth my excitement? Is it worth my, my time? Um, it is It is very throwback. Uh, the guy who was doing it was channeling Kubrick. And so from a modern film perspective, it is filmed very strangely because it's a very slow movie. It has a little bit more scares in it than the, the shining had, but it does the, uh, it does the thing that shining does really well, which is mood. 
the movie just keeps getting creepier and weirder and, and more like as it goes on and it takes its time and uh, get the director's cut. The director's cut's real good. It's three hours, but it's real good. <laughs> I have no problem with three hour movies. I, I wish there were more of them. Sometimes you, you just you need to make the movie that that, you know, I, I, I get I get why they don't want to do that. The movie theater, because sitting for three hours is rough, you know, without a break. Like we took a break. No, no they, they don't want to do it in the in the movie theater, not because they're they're worried about people being comfortable. What they're worried about is that if you run a three hour movie, you lose a showing every day. Right, right, right. I don't care about that. I, I still I, 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 I still agree with I, I agree with the sentiment It is it is a long time. We, we did take a break. We paused it about halfway through. And, you know, we got up and we made a snack and did a potty break and stuff. And then we, we fired it up again. And and I agree that three-hour movies – that the reason that they say that they don't want to do it, not the economic reason, which is, I guess, the real reason. But the that reason, too, I think is valid. Like being able to pause it and go to the bathroom halfway through is, is – it's a good way to, you know, enjoy a very long movie that's, you know, going somewhere and taking its time to get there. And the the ride is good. The ride is good throughout. So there you go. I think that's about the best I can do without getting in too far. All right. Well, give me give me a chance to watch it this week. Remind me to rent it, and I'll rent it and watch it. Okay. I still have it because uh, yeah, the libraries are closed. So I don't got to take it back. I could watch it again. Maybe we should set up a date and we could like live tweet it at each other. I'm down with that. Okay. Tell me when you're going to watch it. Maybe we can figure that out. All right. Well, text me and remind me, yep. and I will. I'll, I'll set something up. Okay. So what have you been watching? Uh, well, uh, this past week, uh, with Carlos home and him expressing more and more interest in more mature content, I decided it was time because it was about the same age that I was when I watched it. It was time to introduce Carlos to the predator. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not surprise, very hard. Surprise. My almost 13 year old boy, uh, absolutely adored predator. I, I watched that again about a year or two ago and I was surprised how well it held up. Uh, it holds up real well, including the effects. The effects even hold up well. Yeah, mostly, yeah. I agree. Oh, it, it, it's it's when you consider how old it is, it's impressive how well it held up. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I said mostly. There's a few there's a few effect shots that could you know use a little love, but yeah, most of them are pretty good. And you know, I mean, it helps that it's a dude running around in a suit. No, it does. Like the phys- the physicality of it is amazing. So we actually ended up watching the entire all four movies. Uh, across the span of the last two weeks wait like including avp no no i said all four movies oh i'm sorry i keep forgetting that predators predators and oh that, so was, oh the one that predator, oh the god oh the predator god-awful two. one no but it's you know what honestly on my second viewing i i enjoyed it even more it's really not that bad it's just a little goofy the shane black one yeah that one's bad go watch it again it's surprising i, I did I, oh i I ended up enjoying it a lot more the second time. Oh, it's so bad. I mean, it's kind of amusingly bad, but it's a bad movie. It doesn't make any sense. Like, because that's the thing. The first one's so grounded, you know, like re- well, relatively. The, the first speak- one, much like Tremors, it, it's it's a perfect script. Yeah, there's there's foreshadowing. There's there's a perfect um, swell. And, and you really genuinely don't know if the hero's getting out of it. Arnold Schwarzenegger or not, like he's getting his ass kicked most of the movie. Well, and that's the thing with with some relatively minor alterations, you could film that script now and it would work. And it's what thirty years old or something at this point. Yeah, there's only a couple of pieces of dialogue that don't work, and and it's mostly because in the '80s it was okay to use certain words that's not okay to use anymore. Yeah, and then like the location wouldn't make sense for modern politics. I don't know where you'd recast it, but yeah, that's a, that's about it. Yeah, it's uh no, it it's 
there's a, there's a lot that works and the the direction on the first one as well as the editing is so top notch mm-hmm. like McTiernan just knows how to do some neat stuff with with cameras mm-hmm. it reminds me of why I love the the Hunt for Red October and Die Hard so much John McTiernan for all of his apparent legal flaws is a hell of a director and then you watch Predator 2 which takes place in the near future of 1997 <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> man that's a friggin ass trip of a movie yeah, yeah. The Jamaican gang problem that L.A. had, you know? Yeah, I know. I know. The Jamaican <laughs> gang problem. And uh, I don't know what was going on in that movie. That movie was, I even warned Carlos. I was like, look, we're going to watch this. And it's a little on the wacky side. Just enjoy it for what it is. And and, and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, y- you'll understand at the end. And sure enough, we get to the end of the movie. He's like, OK, I get it. It was wacky. I'm like, I know it was wacky. That's why I warned you. Yeah, well, it, it took place in the near future, 1997, man. It was, it, it's crazy. It's going to be crazy in the future, you know? Oh, man, I forgot how much how much fun it was to see Bill Paxton on screen again. It kind of made me, me sad. Yeah, yeah. 22-year-old movie, sir. 22. Yeah. Good and times. then we watched um, what I consider the only true sequel to Predator, uh, Predators. That's the one I haven't seen. You haven't seen it? No. No, no, I'm Oh, not. Robert, legitimately, it is... It is the sequel that Predator deserves. All right. I'll give it, it a go. It is a phenomenal action movie. It's put together very well, and it it is the one true sequel to Predator. And it even gives us a glimpse of some of their um, some of their politics, which is interesting. Dear listeners, if you can hear children laughing in the background, that's because we're working from home. Hashtag COVID-19. Hashtag working from home. Yeah. Hashtag, you understand? Uh, no? Today was... No. Today was uh You don't even the, have to explain. It's fine. Well no, I mean they're up late because today was uh Easter, uh the Easter observation. You don't even have to explain. It's fine. It's kids, man. You gotta love your kids. We're all working from home. We're all hashtag we're all in this together. Go on. And then you watched uh, Predator Four. The Predator. <sighs> God. So bad. It's a goofy one, it's wacky. So bad. There, there's a, there's a lot to like in the movie. There there is a fair amount to like in the movie. It's just somewhere Ugh. along the way it lost its way. Oh, it lost its way a lot. It's 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 full of so many bad tropes. I can't even. I can't. It's just. <sighs> yeah. Um. Yeah. They just. Yeah. Yeah. The one good thing is uh, the the haunted mansion joke that they made that only people from Southern California will. I guess Disney <laughs> aficionados will understand. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. Yeah, I know, and I bet Carlos looked at you like you were dumb. Yeah, he did. <laughs> is this haunted room actually stretching, or is it your imagination? <laughs> and then, of course, the response every f-ing time, man. <laughs> yeah, I get to bleep that out. That's fun. Thank you, Jonathan. You're welcome. You're fucking welcome. <laughs> all right, all right. So you you have joined the pop culture zeitgeist, I see, and watched the Tiger King. Well, okay. Let me let me be the first to acknowledge that it was not my idea, but my God, what an amazing car accident of a movie that or of a documentary series that is. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. I haven't gotten around to it myself, but I've heard. I will not say a word other than to say. I can't believe I share a planet with those folks. And also, there's no way Carol Baskin did not kill her husband. Just saying. Hashtag Tiger Chow. Is that libel? Should we cut that out? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm living on the edge. I don't think Carol Baskin's going to come across our little... 
Okay. Well, I will just say that is my opinion. That is your opinion. Please address that to Jonathan Edwards. (laughs) And it is solely an opinion, not at all rooted in fact. (laughs) In fact, we apologize in advance. All right. Hashtag Carol Baskin's (laughs) husband tasted great. Oh, Here's the Frosted Flakes reference we all needed in our lives. Oh, we're going to hell, Jonathan. <laughs> oh, God, I'm driving the bus and I'll pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and what about... Uh, I haven't seen this one either, and I, I really should. How is how is Tales from Loop? And, and more importantly, can I watch it with my, my eldest? Yes, absolutely you can. There is, so far, some sexuality to it, but that being said, it's very tame. Mm-hmm. But there's like a... A very innocent teenage boob grab. Mm. Editing Robert here. Jonathan later came back and told me episode three got a little bit more explicit, so take that for what you will. Oh, dude, man. Oh, my kid. My kid's getting really valuable life lessons from The Sims right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's, it, I'd, I'd say The Sims is considerably more uh, risque than, than anything in Tales from the Loop. But let me... <laughs> can I, oh, can I share this real quick? <laughs> so okay so as a parent you know when you have a daughter you have to like start asking yourself the questions of like when are you going to address teen pregnancy how are you going to bring this up to them you know what what should you do how how do you drive the point home and so today um my daughter's been mildly obsessed with the sims lately and she built a house and she made a couple and of course they're blonde because she thinks blondes are amazing or whatever and they and 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 it uh, completely off topic point here but the the guy is, is so looks like legless for some weird reason i i it, it's a long that's a whole other topic but anyway so she really wanted them to have a baby so she gets them to to make woohoo in the bed which you know they get in the bed and it's like a cartoon fight where the comforter is flopping around and stars are coming out of it you know whatever not that bad so she gets pregnant she has a baby whoopee right so uh she's kind of fixing up the house because the the baby turned into a toddler and then mom was roaming around today and i was looking at her i'm like is your is is she pregnant and she's like no why why would she be pregnant i'm like have you been making him do whoopee honey and she's like yeah but i'm not trying to get her pregnant and i'm like and i'm like she looks pregnant honey you should check and so she checks <laughs> hashtag that's how this works <laughs> so she checks <laughs> and and she goes to the status bar and it says second trimester like three more days or something like that Whoops. and her jaw dropped and she's like how did that happen and i'm like that's why you need to use protection honey because that's how that happens and, and and she was and she and, and I could see her gears turning like like she was actually processing that. And I'm like, oh my God, did I just like head off this like awful life thing at the past from the Sims at age eight? Did I inadvertently have good parenting due to my <laughs> either, neglectful video either game that play? or you just you just put a down payment on somebody's boat as they're gonna have to work through all of her childhood traumas. <laughs> it's not childhood trauma. It's not childhood trauma. <laughs> Saying making whoopee is where babies come from and, oh and letting her understand that 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 is a thing that that she should know because I, it affects her. I just Ugh. don't bring that mouse in the house. It just reminds me of this thing that my dad did. Now, now we're over. We're over. Oh. This relationship is done. <laughs> I have no idea. What Damn it, dad. Why? <laughs> I don't even know what you're quoting anymore. I'm so confused. I'm not quoting anything. That's that's what the future. The future Jonathan says I. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're gonna call me up in 20 years and be like, "Oh man, I really screwed that up, didn't I?" <laughs> you know what? You know what? That's it. That's it. I'm gonna take that bet. I'm gonna take that bet. <laughs> Where's my phone? I'm gonna make a date in the Google well, we'll just, Hold on. <laughs> we'll check in on episode 500 something. Oh god. Oh god. If we're doing the show in 20 years, holy crap, we'd be in the thousands. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make a date. My wife's no, gonna, it wouldn't be. We'd be in the 500s, man. Do the math. <laughs> I, I don't even know what's going on. 20 years from now, so 4040, huh? Okay, I'm going there. <laughs> 2040. 2040. 4040 would be 2020 years from now. What is wrong with you? I'm tired. So, so when you want to check in with me, what month? Like a year to the date? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, all right. I'm making an event. <laughs> when, we're, when we're dealing with COVID 40. Anyway, go on while I make this. We're coming. <laughs> oh man all right what Check else do we watch uh, uh jonathan yeah tales of the loop. so yeah that's right that's what Sims we're talking about so, and pregnancy there we go added I, I've, I've only had a chance to watch two of the eight episodes but i will say this they are they are everything that the paintings make you feel they're beautifully framed they're somewhat stark they're tender. Uh, it's good science fiction. And both of the episodes so far have left me genuinely thinking about what happened. It feels just like the role playing game and just like the paintings. And, and there's just so much to like about it. I, I'm really genuinely enjoying it. Now, that being said, this is a much more measured approach to science fiction. Yeah, I've heard it's slow. But that's by design. I don't find it slow in a negative way. It's it's slow in a very – in that it's telling a story and it's building characters and, and there's a lot going on. It's very dense. And the characterizations are very, very well done. And I don't know. The, these first two episodes have been phenomenal. And shout out to my favorite composer, Philip Glass, who co, um, co-authored the score because the score is is a big part of the reason why it's all coming together. It's – this delicate interweaving with the actions on screen and, and it pulls it all together in, in just like the most beautiful knot. I, I am really genuinely enjoying the show. Wow. I can see how people might not like it, especially if they're used to stuff like, uh, what's the other one I watched on Netflix? The, the uh, altered carbon. Mm-hmm. If they're used to watching stuff like altered carbon, which is all action and, over the top, which is not to say that I don't enjoy Altered Carbon and that it doesn't ask some very interesting questions, but it's it's a much different type of show. It's a much more actiony show. This is a is this is like a David Aronofsky film in that it makes you think and it takes the time to build your characters up. It's funny on that dude's Wikipedia page, he's just like smiling and really, really happy and and, and I'm like that that's not the expression I thought I'd see of the dude who directed all those movies. Oh man, Requiem for a, for a Dream is poof. That is a yeah. I, I I watched that movie once, and and it's it's been about fifteen years since I watched it, and I don't know that I can watch it again yet. I don't know that I'm repaired enough to to take another sitting. <laughs> like that movie's intense. Yeah, yeah. Mother, mother's so I think, strange. <laughs> yeah i I think that movie should be shown to every high schooler to scare the living crap out of them uh, in terms of addiction. Oh, Requiem oh, for a Dream. Dream? Yeah. yeah, you want you want to see what addiction does to a human being? Okay, let's watch this little <laughs> love stand here. 
And then finally, uh, I got some news, Robert, some news. Dune Watch 2020. You got a screenshot of of a dude oh. standing on a beach. No, not just a dude. Paul Atreides, and he's on the shore of Caladan as the ships are coming down to prepare them to leave for Arrakis. You got a picture of a dude on a beach, and there are no ships, dude. What, what, are, what are you lo- talking about? Look at the air. Those are ships? I thought that was just like paper or something. No, zoom in, man. Zoom in. I thought that was a piece of paper floating in the background. No, oh, those paper. are spaceships. Oh, what do you know? spaceships. What do you know? I know that picture pixel for pixel at this point. Dune Watch 2020. It's happening. That screenshot, that, that single grab is all I need to know that, that production looks like it's spot on. Oh, Jonathan. I'm excited. I'm excited. I know. I'm going to be its harshest cri- critic, too, because I'm way too hyped for it. If it sucks, I'll be the first to poke a hole in it. I don't know, man. I try not to get excited by films anymore. I get burned too often where I get way... It, it's it's Denis Villeneuve, okay? Like, after Blade Runner 2049, he can do no wrong for me. All right. All right. That man could put out a, a uh, you know, three-hour documentary on how to set the timer on your microwave, and I'd, I'd watch it. Because I owe him. Because Blade Runner 2049 is that good. All right. All right. Just saying, man. I think I think you're overhyping it. I think you're going to disappoint yourself because it... it you know, and if it happens, it happens. I, I'm my own worst enemy. But hey, what are you going to do? I don't know, man. Just try to maintain the level. Just try to, you dear, know. dear COVID. If you screw up my Dune, I will, uh, I will, I will find you, and I will disinfect you. I wonder. I wonder if we're going to be able to see No Time to Die by the time we're supposed to get to it. Intriguing. It's supposed to be November now. I think. Yeah, that might be too late. We'll find out. Well, if if we have to. We can always come back to it. Yeah, we'll do our bonus episode early. But anyway, we'll get to that. All right, moving right along uh, from movies into uh, reading. I am uh, still working through Console Wars. Just about done. Cool. Should finish it in the next couple days. Not a lot of reading time lately. No. No. Any reading for you? No. No. But you did some RPGing. Yes, kind of. We did session zero for Scion, which is uh, it's an old White Wolf game. It came out originally, I don't know, like 10 years ago now. Um, they made a second edition on Kickstarter. Uh, the basics of it are uh, you play, I guess I would technically be a nymph. I don't know what I would be. I'm not Greek, though. Anyway, basically all gods, like all ancient pantheons are real. And uh, they get around and they make half mortal babies all over them place. And so you, your characters are children of the gods who are just starting to come into their powers. And so we made we made characters and started doing that. I, I have very little about my character because one of the backgrounds you could take is called the created. And that just means literally a god poofed you into existence in a relatively short time ago. So I, uh, I, I was going to say I was only like three or four weeks old, but my GMs decided to, that the first adventure will be exactly when I get bamfed into existence. So it's like, that's how old I am. And then my wife is playing a former child actress that was on a bad power Rangers knockoff that, uh, <laughs> that didn't go anywhere. I love it. Yeah. That's a good character. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's the modern day. So there you go. And we're, we're doing that thing. We're now we're playing in the, the late nineties to early aughts. Kind of in that that Buffy. Hey man, buy that Amazon stock. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, while while I've been homeschooling the kid, uh, I've been continuing working on um, gathering up all of the bits of of uh, Marvosia and putting them into one place and 
getting kind of some of the lore dump that's been just rattling around in my head and onto the page. And then I keep making my poor wife read it because I'm like, you made this campaign setting too. You should tell me if I'm screwing anything up. And then she reads it. And then to appease me, she says, you're doing fine husband. And I sit there secretly wondering her, has she ever, has she even read any of it? I don't even know. <laughs> I should make even a quiz. Now she betrays you. <laughs> yeah. She's downstairs with the sourdough and I'm not. <laughs> I guess that leaves us a video game, sir. Uh, I don't have much. I've been continuing playing City Skylines with my, uh, they put a desert map in, which is, I guess, technically a tropical map, but it's, you know, it's just all sand and not much palm tree. Um, yeah. So I named my city Las Maravosia because I always name my cities off of whatever I'm doing at the time because it's kind of a fun time capsule. Makes sense. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just playing with the new systems. Be- better than everything being Robert Topolis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it's good times. I'm having fun. It's it's still a fun game. Been playing Overwatch here and there just because, again, it's just kind of the thing I do when i am got some time. And uh, yeah, and we already talked about tabletop simulators. So there you go. All right. Well, I've uh, been playing some uh, more Apex. They had a, a mid-season event uh, that uh, has been happening, and I've been having a lot of fun with that. They uh, they put out this really neat, like, 12-minute, 13-minute short film. Mm-hmm about the the character Bloodhound's background. Uh, even if you're not into the game, I recommend going and watching the short film because it's kind of neat. Just neat uh, neat lore. Neat lore. Cool. Recently, uh, we found out that Amelia really likes steering wheels. Mm. She likes the concept of driving. In fact, we have a little plastic car that, that uh, we take her on walks on. It's like a almost like a stroller, but it's a plastic car. Yeah, yeah. And it's got a steering wheel, and she grabs, grabs onto that thing, and she's like, she's driving angry the whole time. It's awesome. So um, I've got a steering wheel and pedals for my PC because I like to do sim racers. And so um, I set it up and uh, we went driving together and she was having a good time. Just quite content driving along. Uh, she was playing playing some um, uh, iRacing with me for a while. And then we played some Forza 7. And it's pretty cute. She sits on my lap and grabs the wheel. And then I put my hand over hers and we, we drive together and she loves it. She giggles and makes the cute noises. It makes me happy. Nice. <laughs> and then finally, last Friday, April 10th, Final Fantasy VII Remake came out. Yes, you've been taunting me with it after I decided to pass on it. Well, I fought it. I fought it long and hard. I fought it long and hard. Didn't get excited about it. And then I started reading the reviews and everybody was kind of head over heels for it. So I decided, okay, well, you know... Uh, I got a little bit of extra money. I'll give it a shot. So I, I bought it. I pre-downloaded it, had it all ready to go. And then after work that day, I sat down, started playing it. And then I played it a bunch the next day and a bunch the next day. And here I am about 72 hours later, a little over 72 hours later. And I've played 12 hours. Not bad. Not bad. Which I never, never do with games. So it, that, that says a lot. Um, I love it. I'm having a grand time with it. The battle system's super fun. It's very actiony, but still very RPG. I don't know how else to put that. The summons are really, really cool. The, the one of the only downsides that I've seen so far is that the uh, the summons are kind of locked to certain areas. the The way they stage it is that the 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 spirit lives within the materia, which you equip to your weapon. Yeah. And the spirit only stirs when when it feels the proper evil, which is basically the game's way of saying 
we understand that not all the environments have the room to support the summons, so we're only going to let you have them when there's room. <laughs> because the summons work differently than they did in the original game. In the original game, if you remember, the backdrop would, would wipe away, and then the enemy would stand there like an idiot while the summon came out of nowhere and obliterated him. Or, or a five-minute cutscene would play as 13 knights take a swing at things. Yes. These uh, are a little bit different in that the summon gets called forth and then lands and then fights next to you. And as you charge your, your battle um, active battle bars, you can have the option of casting a spell or casting a special attack. Or um, if you've got a summon out, you can tell your summon to do one of its uh, primary attacks. Uh, and then at the end, once the bar expires, after all of its energy is depleted, then it does a magnificent pre-rendered cinematic exit where it beats the living daylights out of the guy while he stands there like an idiot. Seems legit. Which, uh, so I'm reading there's only like, doesn't seem like there's a lot of some, well, that makes sense. It's only like the first quarter of the game. There, there, there are nine, of which three are uh, locked, two of them to the deluxe edition, and one of them was a pre-order incentive. So there are six in the game. And I have currently unlocked one in the game. I've got my three from the pre-order and the deluxe edition. And then I have access to the next one, Shiva. I just have not had an opportunity to unlock her yet. Oh, but they got Bahamut. Oh, and Leviathan. Those were my two faves. Yeah. Because they're dragons. From a story perspective, it's kind of interesting because apparently the entirety of this game takes place roughly the first third of the plot of the original. Incorrect. Incorrect. I don't know. How how long would you say that game is, the the original game, to beat it? You played it recently. Um, 40 hours for the main. Okay. This game. The main quest. Okay. How long does it take you to get out of the city? Like four or five hours? About that, yeah. That is that. That is this game. The end of this game is you leaving the city. Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah, not even the first third. Yeah, like the first tenth. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting because even though I'm I'm now twelve hours into it, so more than double that time, they're doing such a good job with the story. And for me to say this about a JRPG, I want you to remember my track record here because I feel like they're mostly wacky most of the time. Mm-hmm. But this is a very westernized story, which is not to say that it isn't without its weird uh, eastern quirks. But the um, the story's been very well fleshed out in interesting ways that, that are very engaging. And I'm very into the characters, more so than even the, in the original game. They do an excellent job with the story. And the characters... Even when you're roaming around the city, they're always talking to each other. So it's really kind of neat. And they're, they're constantly building um, connections with each other. That's cool. And there's a lot of nuance in the way they present stuff. Like in the original, you knew that Tifa had a thing for Cloud. But this shows that the, the romance is kind of more nuanced than that and, and definitely goes both ways, but is very complicated. And this, this does a very good job of handling those nuances. Aren't they, even in the original game, weren't they sort of like an on-again, off-again? Well, they were They were childhood friends, and it was obvious that, that they kind of both had a thing for each other, but never acted on it. Yeah. And now now there's a lot more nuance to that. Hmm. Well, that's cool. So I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, not that we're that deep into 2020, but easily the best game I've played so far this year. Yeah. Well, with everything getting delayed... <laughs> it might be. Ah! We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, 
they put what last of us two they put on indefinite hold there's more and more of that popping up sucks yeah well you know it's nobody's fault yeah i'm not i'm not blaming anybody i'm just saying it sucks i can say it sucks (laughs) i'm not blaming them it's not their i honestly i'd rather have games be delayed because i i would rather have a good game than a crappy game that's released quick I tell you what, if you want to pick up some cheap games and have some some good deep experiences, now's the time to do it, man. There is there are a ton of really interesting games out there right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that it? Because we did board games first, out of all things. That was it. That was it. That brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment, which means, of course, it is now time for our first break. And when we return, we will be hitting a very yet again short wisdom of crowds. Hashtag thank you COVID. Hashtag no thank you, COVID. <laughs> Hashtag not today, COVID. Hashtag we're all this together. Hashtag I agree. <laughs> Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back for the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. Not a ton of news, uh, but it's kind of a mixed bag of good and bad. What do you want first? Good news or bad news? The bad. Always the bad first. All right. Here's a list of all the events that have either been canceled or delayed by COVID-19. Tokyo Game Market, canceled. Lyricon in Portugal, canceled. Soul Board Game Festa, canceled. UK Games Expo has been delayed from May until August 21st through 23rd of 2020. Unpub also delayed until August 20th through 23rd of 2020. Tabletop Scotland has been postponed until October 10th through 11th, 2020. And WizKids has canceled all of their consumer events through Q2 and Q3 of the year, and their organized play events have been put on hold until June. And finally... The biggest piece of news on the convention circuit, Origins Game Fair, delayed from June till October 7th through 11th in 2020, still in the greater Columbus area. Although the weather in Columbus in October is distinctly different than June. And and these all these shows might be canceled anyway, because uh, as conventions are getting pushed back, uh, they're they're <laughs> booking several conventions to be at the same place at the same time. Yeah, it should be said most of these conventions are scheduled years out. I don't know what all that means, but sometimes they're just stringing you along so they don't have to give you a refund. So we'll see if if any of this still happens. It'll be fascinating. (laughs) It'll be fascinating. Well, thankfully, that's it for the bad news. You ready for some good news? Uh, Yes. All right. Well, the Arkham Horror card game, uh, which I am a huge fan of is getting five new investigator starting decks. Go on. We are getting the Guardian, Nathaniel Cho, the Seeker, Harvey Walters, the Rogue, Winfred Habmock. I don't know. He's a pilot. He looks cool. 
Uh, Stella Clark, who is a survivor. And finally, the mystic Jacqueline Fine. Uh, and these are going to be just straight investigator starting decks with everything that you need to get started uh, using them as a character. And they are expected in local game stores in the third quarter of this year. Cool. Yeah, and they have a press release out at the Fantasy, the fi- that, the fantasy Flight website if you want to learn more about each of those characters and what they can do. But they're pretty cool looking, I gotta say. I'm uh, uh, especially enamored with the... Oh, it's Winifred. It's not Winfred. It's Winifred. So it's a it's a girl, the adventurous aviatrix. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. And then two last little bits of good news. Um, as we stare at all these delays uh, because of the COVID, let's look at some good COVID news. Asmodee has released a set of free downloadable board games as part of its print and play initiative. The free board games allow gamers to continue experiencing new games while remaining safe and sound in the comfort of their own home. Uh, the downloadable board games are very similar to some of the, the classic Asmodee board games uh, like Spot It, Dixit, um, and a couple of others. You can find them on the print and play webpage within the Asmodee website. That's cool. And then one last little bit of good news, because I know you're going to be excited about this. My little scythe getting an expansion, the pie in the sky expansion. (laughs) Nice. And it looks amazing. They're getting an owl and what looks like a little white fox. Aww. Is it white because that's the color of the plastic or is it canically supposed to be a white fox? No, it's it's, this is I'm looking at the cover art. It's the plastic. Oh, okay. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Well, my one little bit, I would just like to reiterate that everything is getting canceled, including the bread and butter of your friendly local game store, all of their events, because we, when I owned a store, we made more money on magic night than we did any other day of the week, which really sucks. So once again, people, if uh, there's anything you could do to float a bone to your friendly local gaming store, uh, if you play magic there, just buy a gift certificate. Hopefully you can, you know, play magic there again and then just use the gift certificate. I, I should practice what I preach, but the only gaming purchase I am planning on purchasing, I've already pre-ordered with my local gaming store about two weeks before they had to shut everything down, which is the Theros book from Wizards of the Coast at my local gaming store. But yes, just please go do that. It helps them. And another company is paying it forward. Jonathan, have you ever heard of a miniature paint company known as the army painter. Yes, I have heard of army painter. They are going to shut down their paint production because they are reconfiguring their lines to make hand sanitizer that they are going to start selling. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, I saw another one. Uh, somebody else had rejiggered their lines to start making masks and 95. Yeah. Makes me, I, I, I guess I'll go buy some army painter stuff. Not that I wouldn't, actually. I like that company. So there you go. That's all I got. Uh, Well, that brings us to the end of our very abbreviated news segment. Uh, COVID-19 sucks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Well, that brings us to our No Time to Bond segment, which means it's time to talk about all of the happenings in the Bond universe in, what was it, 1973? Four. In 1974, part nine of our 28-part series came out, uh, our No Time to Bond segment. 
We are, in fact, watching all the 007 movies in order of their release date. And right at the end of 1974, December 19th, we got what? The Man with the Golden Gun, directed by Guy Hamilton, his last James Bond movie. He did quite a few. Uh, made for seven million bucks, it made ninety seven point six, so quite a dip from the last couple of films. Uh, it had the fourth lowest gross of the series. I have seen this readjusted. It is now currently the fifth lowest grossing of the series, if you count inflation, because it put the future of the franchise in doubt so much. Uh, Harry Saltzman, who had produced all of the movies from Doctor No all the way till now, he basically sold his half of the company back to the company and put everything into the hands of uh, Albert Cubby uh, Broccoli. And this would last until 1984 when they got a new producer to join. So he did the next several movies all by himself. But we will get there when we get there. Yes. So, yes, let's talk about the man with the golden gun, Jonathan. All right. Well, where do you want to start? Because this is a little bit of a mixed bag. A little bit of a mixed bag, Jonathan? This movie is... Yeah, it's all over the place. There's aspects of it that are really good. Like it's it's really nicely shot. Like I I really enjoyed the the cinematography in this one. I've noticed there's this real problem with the Bond series. And and this one's got it, too, that Bond is very. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. He's not proactive, (laughs) you know, he seems to be just kind of like there, there's with very few exceptions. He just seems to be kind of like wandering into places and getting caught and sort of like figuring it out from there. Like he never like he never investigates. He never like figures something out. You know what I mean? It's it's just kind of weird. And this movie's got that problem. You know, like he gets it's like go find Scaramanga. And then he's sort of like it's like, well, who's the last person to find Scaramanga? And then it's like, oh, this person. He goes and talks to this person. And it's like, oh, go here. And so he goes there and then people just kind of mess with him. And then he sort of ineptly does stuff. <laughs> and it's like, what? You know, because he's like, I'm going to be a secret agent. I'm going to go pretend to be another person, blah, like a real spy. And then they know the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and this movie's particularly bad, but a lot of the early Bond movies have that problem. Like, f- starting with From Russia with Love, where he's just kind of like along for the ride and the plot's being driven by several other people, but not Bond. And yeah, this one, this one definitely had the problem. And, and the plot was like, in this one, Bond like finds out that the the world's most awesome assassin, who apparently knows James Bond so intimately well that he has a wax statue of James Bond with his exact likeness <laughs> in his house. Again, which brings us to the conundrum of James Bond being the worst kept secret ever. And of course, he doesn't know what Scaramanga looks like. The weapons dealer knows him too. Yeah, because yeah. as soon as he he he's, he identifies himself as James Bond, he says, "Oh, it would be such a great honor to make a weapon for you." But yeah, he he just sort of like wanders around until he sort of stumbles into something. And it's it's just uh, and, and the early movies are just so bad about that. Like the, the plot is just dumb. And like that whole part where he goes and meets that belly dancer who has like the the gold bullet that killed her lover in her belly as belly jewelry, which Bond swallows and poops out later. <laughs> <sighs> the script is all over the place. Uh, I, I think this is one of the best shot Bond movies because it's it's quite lovely to look at and, and very well put together. Um, I also think that it is – this is something I meant to bring up last time. Starting with the, the, the Moore movies, that's when the score really kind of takes a step up and becomes a character. And this movie kind of doubles down on that much more than even Live and Let Die did. 
And that's that's kind of nice because from a cinematic perspective, it, it makes it mean something more than it did. But that being said, this this movie has some huge plot problems. Yeah. And and what's her name? Uh, 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 Goodnight. She's a mess of a character. James Bond movies having problems with women characters. No, no. But I mean, like she's even by Bond standards, it's it's not that she's marginalized. I mean, she's played off as as an idiot in, in all the wrong ways. Yeah, it's like MI6 is such a professional service that, you know, their lead agent apparently in uh, in Hong Kong is is just or, or no, not Hong Kong. Where were they at that one? No, they were in Macau. They were in Hong Kong. Macau. Yeah, they were all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, wherever she was stationed, she she's like terrible and absolutely has no training. Yeah. Like if, if she was their only agent on the ground, she would know how to do stuff. She was acting like a receptionist or something. And it's like, no, if, if she was the only person there, she'd be an analyst and she'd at least know stuff, you know, and she'd have a minimum of training. But uh, yeah, no, her character was particularly bad and not uh, uh, Scaramanga's uh, lady uh, who was kind of playing both sides. I forget her name. But she wasn't much better either. Like the characterization and, – and that's a problem too because if you don't give Bond a good character to bounce off of, you know, if he's just bouncing off of idiots, it makes him look stupid, you know, because like why is he putting up with these people? He must be dumb too. And it, it, that is also another problem with the series because, you know, they they often go out of their way to say Bond is like, you know, this like leading, you know, crazy whatever and, you know, he never – the people he interacts with and, and think he's just, you know, it, it's like, it, it's like idiocracy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Bond, Bond is like Owen Wilson in idiocracy. <laughs> yeah. No, I had a ton of problems with this movie. The sheriff character, I, I didn't like him much in the last movie, but he got way more offensive when he was running around in Asian country, calling people pointy heads and stuff. Oh my like that, God. That, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That that just wasn't cool, and and it and it kind of like like the sort of like oh he's just uh, this bad stereotype. It kind of like it kind of threw shade on that last movie too, and I'm like oh he wasn't good there either. Now I like that movie less. Here's the the real problem with that movie: Christopher Lee was in it. Christopher fracking Lee was in it, and he was criminally underused. No, he criminally. was criminally underused. But I'll say this: he looked like he was having a friggin' blast, man. Yes, yes. No, like, well, every time he came... friends. Well, I know, and every time he came on screen, like, especially when, when he, when Scaramanga and uh, Bond are having their, their little dialogue, like, that was actually a joy to watch. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's the problem, like, so there's this point where Scaramanga, like, bursts into the movie, like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> and everybody's like... Oh, he's this like assassin and he's nuts and he's, he'll just murder everyone. And he's, and you're you're like, and they keep talking him up and you're like, he can't be that good. And then he just sort of bursts into the movie and it's like, I'm Christopher Lee and God damn it. I am that cool. And you're like, oh, and you realize like three quarters of the movie are over before Scaramanga starts like talking and being awesome. And it's like, man, that was a missed opportunity. This whole movie should have been about Scaramanga. And it should have been like the reverse Bond movie where he's just kind of like realizing Bond's on his case or something. But, oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene late in the movie where Scaramanga and Bond have a meal together. And I mean, honestly, to me, it's up there with the the De Niro Pacino scene in Heat where they have their their first exchange on screen. It's 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 well acted. It's it's one of the tightest pieces of scripting in the in the uh, in terms of dialogue in the film. 
and it's it's a joy to watch. And then apparently Scaramanga has like a funhouse in his in his lair, which they try and explain off as him having been raised in a circus. Yeah, and it's it, it's like this thing of like he's just so good of a killer that he he needs to make it entertaining for himself or something. And it's it's oh, it's so dumb. That part was so But what's dumb. crazy is Christopher Lee completely makes it work. I disagree. <laughs> but I I want to see where like a movie about Scaramanga like just sort of rolling in and taking over an operation because he's like screw this I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna get all this money now I could I'll I'll just kill you and take over like who's gonna stop me I'm Scaramanga I have a I have an inaccurate weird hand pistol that I can shoot people at like crazy ranges hey, with I'm and, that good and a third nip yes he does have a third nipple a superfluous third nipple yes that's true <laughs> Which- the witch's nipple. Which they make an extended dialogue out of in the beginning of the movie. I like why does why like, why did that even need they, to be there? Did we really need a ten minute soliloquy of, of of the third nip? That's the thing. I was like really hating on that movie. I was really actively disliking it, and then Scaramanga like bursts into the movie finally, and I'm like, that's when I went from like hating it to like sad because I'm like, there's this movie here I actually want to see, but I don't get to see it. Instead, I have to continue sitting through this other garbage. And oh, oh, it's just so bad. I, I could see why it didn't do bad. well because it really is a bit of a mess, and and it really kind of like begs the question of what's with the British fascination with the Asian culture and Asian settings uh, during this time period. Uh, it's it's old school Orientalism and just badness. Like yeah, it's a bad trope that exists in a lot of Western stuff. Where if you want to make something exotic. Or whatever you you go to Asia because that's an exotic foreign place and it's it's just it's bad tropes <laughs> it's just it's just bad racist thinking and yeah yeah it's surreal man so many of these movies have a- Asian culture influences and and so often the Asian culture is portrayed in as as a villain and what's with the weird random like scene with the uh, with uh, uh what's her name uh, Goodnight at the end of the mo- near the end of the movie with the mechanic guy. Oh yeah, the rapey scene. Yeah, well, what it's like the it's hell, Ro- man. Ro- Roger Moore is is just he can't play rapey very good, and he kind of refused to do it. So they're like, "Well, we need to get in there somewhere," and it's like, ah, oh, just yeah. No, it was it was a mess. The whole movie relied a lot on way too much on bad tropes, and I'm kind of glad to see they fell flat to 1975, 74, end of 74, because uh, yeah. That that makes me feel a little bit better about people back then, because even th- even even then they saw it that there was just kind of just not right things going on in this movie, it, just in general. And and Christopher Lee was criminally underused, criminally. Oh man, but he's so much fun to watch when he's on, though. The only redeeming factor of I love the wreck of the uh, the Elizabeth the the ship uh-huh. that's secretly like an mi mi six base, and like all the sets are tilted. Like I thought that was very clever. <laughs> no, that was cool. That was very cool. That and you know the seaplane that Bond uses. Yeah, that's actually a really neat plane. That's called a CB, and it's mm. uh, actually quite old. It was built, I think, in the late forties, forty six, forty seven. Yeah, but I, it looks so futuristic uh, that I understand why they used it. But as a, as a plane aficionado, I'm sitting there going, like, that's weird. They used something ancient and called it, you know, high tech. Yeah, I was I was commenting during the movie. It, it seems like this movie, like they had a lot of ideas for like action sequences, and then they sort of strung a plot poorly between them. And I'm like, oh wow. That is like fairly modern filmmaking by today's standards, you know. <laughs> Zinger. Ow! I will tell you this much. It it from a, a cinematic perspective, just purely filmmaking, it it holds up 
better than most of the Bond films because it's still very physical in its stunts and like yeah. the, the the you know they actually do the car corkscrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which John Barry for some reason put a slide whistle into, which totally ruins. Yeah, what the, the hell with that? Yeah, he's later come out and said that he regretted doing that. Which agreed. <laughs> you should regret that, John. You should regret that. No, the whole movie's a mess. I, you know, I, I, I'm really getting the feeling that uh, at this point in history, the Bond movie was uh, the franchise was in trouble because they were sort of resting on their laurels. And and I, I put this down too. Actually, the movie, this movie, and Roger Moore movies in general, a lot of them feel very unsure of themselves. Like the last movie, like they were so unsure of the James Bond plot line that they decided to borrow black exploitation tropes. And this one, again, it felt very unsure of itself. I'm not sure what they were borrowing, but they, they didn't do it right. And Moonraker has the same problem because like, well, Star Wars is popular, so we'll just make a sci-fi movie too. And it's like, I don't know if that works. Ro- Roger Moore movies, a lot of them had that problem where it's just the, the theme is off. And I, I'm not sure what the problem is with with all of that. But yeah, no, I, I get why people thought the franchise was in trouble. Moonraker and always felt like such a, a shark jump to me. Yeah, which is which is saying something considering this film. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I get I, I I'm curious to watch the next one because the next one, by all accounts, it turned it around just like uh, Goldeneye did, because when we get to Goldeneye, after License to Kill, like a lot of people felt that the Bond movie was in trouble because just it politically and just the world had sort of moved on from the character and how, how you can make it relevant. And then we had the same problem again by the time they got uh, Craig into the into the Bond role. So it's kind of funny how, how enduring the franchise is. Well, yeah, I mean, it is enduring so long as it gets a modern reinterpretation every so often. And, and Con or not Connery, uh, more they uh, Guy Hamilton decided that he needed to tough up more, you know, because he was Bond wasn't tough enough in the last movie. And how does he choose to toughen up him up? Well, specifically, he put in the scene where he threatened to break a woman's arm if she didn't give him information. So it's like, OK, so for a man to be tough, you need to threaten a woman and with physical violence and you need to threaten a little kid with physical violence. That makes you tough. It's like, I don't know, Bond, if you want to be tough, why don't you? I I don't know, shoot grown men, maybe? Because <laughs> Bond only kills Scaramanga in this film. You know, maybe, maybe that would have been cool instead of beating up, you know, children and women. Bad tropes. What I don't understand is there, there comes the point where they, they get to Scaramanga's island, right? And Bond has an opportunity to just outright shoot him. Just be done with the damn thing. And and the entire time I'm watching the movie, I'm, I'm just like, this could have been over 20 minutes ago, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Done. <laughs> it highlights a lot of the problems with the franchise especially in this time period well i i think in in any time period because i as we're moving closer to the modern day like people are starting to identify the bad tropes and it's it's getting dated even then you know what i mean yeah like yeah so i don't know man but it endures because next time we're going to come back with the spy who loved me so we'll see how that one goes. I have some decent memories of this next one, so I'm I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm hoping it holds up better. Yeah, well, I, looking at the box office, it did a lot better, so we'll see. Again, with Roger Moore movies, none of them particularly stand out to me as being good or bad, except for Moonraker and this one. I remember not liking this one. I remember Moonraker's pretty bad, but it's kind of bad in sort of a hilarious way, which I sort of enjoy, so... I, re- I remember that, <laughs> but other... And I, I actually, I remember really liking A View to the Kill. 
I love that movie. I I'm so excited about watching it. Yeah, I, I remember liking it, and I remember I remember even though Moore is very miscast as geriatric Bond at that point. Yeah, it, the movie in general just kind of worked for some reason, and I don't know why. I think it was the car chase. Because it's got more walking, man. <laughs> Bond, listen, this is happening. I'll get you. It's amazing. I'm so excited about that. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves, which typically means that it's time to uh, our time to bond is over. It is indeed. So join us next time for part 10 of our 28 piece retrospective. Not even halfway, buddy. No. Well, we keep adding movies that we're going to watch because I found out that Aeon Productions did a uh, did another movie that's like a thriller uh called the, the the rhythm section and apparently it it bombed bad and i've never even heard of it nor seen it and i'm like you know what we're tacking it on at the end because it's eon productions baby like all of these people worked on that movie we'll we'll talk about what went wrong in that one and i've read interesting reviews about it so i'm kind of i'm kind of curious to uh to see it because i've heard people didn't like it because it was very non-traditional it was it was like a it was like a spyish Bond movie with a very non traditional character and people didn't like it and I'm like intriguing, color me intrigued. I added it to the list, so well, we're, we're we're gonna watch it. We're gonna watch it. Yeah, yeah. That and Austin Powers and uh, Never Say Never Again are the the Bond not Bond movies. Oh God, Never Say Never. Oh yeah, that's a rough one. I I remember liking it, but then again, I, I like bad film, and I I did not like that one because it was good. I like that one because it's so terribly cheesy and bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> and that's the problem with this movie. It's not that it's bad. I, I'm not saying it's a bad, enjoyably it's not bad. Good, bad. It's kind of boring. It's just bad. Yeah, it's just kind of boring, and doesn't make any sense. It makes Bond look stupid, and and a lot of the movies have made Bond look stupid, which is a problem. Like that that is not a new problem. That that goes back to probably the first film in this franchise. Like. If Bond is reacting to people that are idiots, it doesn't mean he's smart. <laughs> it just means he's smarter. <laughs> Which brings us to a year in the life. It now has been a year since episode, what was that? Forgot My Dice episode 61. It's a multiverse, baby. <laughs> uh, we played a uh, potion, potion explosion. explosion. That is so much good stuff. Yes. I need to take that off the shelf, man. Like, no joke. I've been, I've been kind of jonesing for that uh, for a while now. And my, I, I know my daughter can play it, so I, I need to actually... I, th- yeah, Finn, that's it. I need to take that off the shelf. <laughs> Agreed. And we talked, ab- we talked about... We were in kind of a weird point. Like, I was looking over the, the notes of what we talked about that episode, and it was a, a lot of stuff that we had talked about before. <laughs> we were in this weird stretch where we were just sort of, like, finishing up uh, seemingly everything. <laughs> well, and, and I think I was suffering from sleep exhaustion thanks to... Uh, Amelia being very young, so who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a time. But yeah, I, I, I haven't gone back to listen to that episode. My podcast listening time because I, I did it while I was driving around in you know taking children places. But guess what's not happening anymore? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, buddy. It's all right. We're gonna get there. Gonna get there. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine, Jonathan. <laughs> it, it, it's fine. Everything's fine. This is nice. How are you? This is nice. This is fine. <laughs> this is fine. Uh, <laughs> All right. I, should, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I didn't talk about it. Uh, I should have. I'm actually kind of enjoying homeschooling my kid. It's, uh, I, I've already had the instance where uh, I've, I've been doing things from the beginning 
and uh, she got better at something. Like I, she's tangibly, ta- not tangibly, tangibly gotten better at something. And and it, I'm like, that's me. Like I'm her teacher, and I made her better at something. I I I have pride in that. I I'm very happy. And I made sourdough bread. So yes, it's not all bad. I that that's mostly a joke. It's just it eats up a lot of my time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back after just a few moments and, uh, and a short break with our deep dive into space today with Zombicide Invader. We will return in just a moment. Jonathan, shut. Okay. Okay. You need to back the rocket ship up and say in space correctly. In space. Uh, I will add some reverb in post. I was saving that, though. I'll add a reverb where reverb needs it, man. Oh. I like adding the reverb in the music. <laughs> All right. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by hitting us up at one of the following. You can join us on Patreon where we post bonus content. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash FMD podcast. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Lastly, for those of you seeking experiences beyond our concepts of pleasure and pain, set the Lamont configuration to full hell mode. Oddly, you can find us in several levels of the labyrinth as the only thing playing on the radio. Wait, what? I have such sights to show you, Jonathan. Ah, I need to take your Netflix account away from you. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And on today's deep dive, we will be talking about Zombicide in Space. Jonathan, I have it on my notes. It's called Zombicide Invader. Did, did I get that incorrect? It is, but it's Zombicide in Space. Let's 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 not. Oh, oh, I was confused. Humans have set off into the stars in search of high powered fuel and found it in the remote corner of the universe on a small planet, PKL7. Their discovery of Xenium. Wow, what is that word? That made up nonsense. Xenium? Uh, hold on. Hold on. Zen? Yeah, it's like helium, but Zen. Everything's Zen. Everything's Zen. I don't think so. Do you have it in the notes? Zen. Zen. Yeah, Zenium. Their discovery of Xenium, a dark, oily compound deep below the planet's surface, was everything they hoped for. But they found something else, too. The Xeno's attack was brutal and unrelenting. While the scientists and soldiers have held them off the best they could, the Xenos are still coming. Zombicide Invader is a cooperative game in which one, two, six players face Xenos, an unfathomable swarm of infected controlled by the game itself. Each player takes the role of one of six survivors in a sci-fi setting being overwhelmed by these Xenos. The goal is simple. Choose a mission. Complete its objectives. Kill as many Xenos as possible. And most importantly, survive. That was dramatic. Yeah, it was dramatic. I like that they mentioned scientists because there's a totally not Doc Brown among the Kickstarter exclusives that I saw. Yeah, totally yes. not. Anyway, totally not. that's getting ahead of ourselves. Jonathan, how does it play? I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's a lot of Zombicide DNA here. No. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine with a name like Zombicide Invader. I thought it was Zombicide in space. <laughs> Well, it starts out the same way that you'd imagine any uh, Zombicide's going to. You're going to pick a mission from the the actually rather copious selection of missions that are in the book. 
Uh, you place the appropriate tiles down, forming a play area. There's both indoor and outdoor sections that will be uh, uh, reflected in these tiles. In fact, the, the game is actually completely cross-compatible with uh, classic Zombicide, Zombicide Green Horde, Zombicide Black Plague, the whole, the whole game caboodle. Uh, once you've got your tiles down, you look at the uh, instructions for the mission that you're looking at, and you place down objectives, spawn zones, any other tokens that are specific to that yeah, mission. Yeah, very, very Zombicide-esque. <laughs> You select the six survivors that are going to be represented in the game. And rather, whether you play with one or six players, you always want to have six survivors. That's the way it's tuned. You take dashboards for each of the survivors. These dashboards are really nice. They're, they're plastic dashboards, just like in Green Horde. Uh, they're, they're thick plastic dashboards, so they uh, hold all the cards that you want. They've got spaces for your inventory, spaces for your left and right hands, and they're really cleverly laid out. In fact, there's little pegs that go in them so that you can easily track health and status effects. Uh, you set all those up for your, your folks. Everybody gets starting equipment. They're either going to start out with a cattle prod or an SMG. Uh, <laughs> like, like from Alien? <laughs> the cattle what? prod from Alien? <laughs> yep. It's yeah. in there. And uh, an oxygen tank. Because oxygen is one of the new pieces of gameplay. When you're in an exterior environment, you have to have oxygen. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, and it's kind of neat. That's one of the neat things that they add in this game because the the oxygen makes going outside uh, a risk and you have to kind of plan for refilling your oxygen. Sorry, I just yawned really big. Oh, you're making me do it. You're you're putting me to sleep because you're not sourdough bread. (laughs) And then you place any other accoutrement that might be necessary for this particular mission uh, because there's a a wide variety of things that can be added, like little uh, peacekeeper bots or little stationary turrets. Uh, which are one of the other new pieces of, of uh, play that have been added. You to know, I, we've talked about Zombicide before and uh, several times now, in fact. Like, so the, the, the main differences are the oxygen, the, 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 the sentry guns, which I'm seeing. Are there any other quirks of it? And is this following the new Zombicide rules where you can like fire into combat and not hit your own guys? Yes, absolutely. Thank God. That, that, that is exactly. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it, it, it takes all the best rules puts a sci-fi twist on them and and more importantly adds a couple things uh oxygen is is kind of interesting because a lot of the maps have oxygen on the board and you have to protect it because the any any room and any tile in the game is susceptible to to this concept of mold which is spread around uh by one of the xenotypes if they spread it around every every turn it can grow a little bit and if it grows it basically clogs all the doors so that it forces them oh, to be open. Oh, that's cute. So it's like the Zerg creep. Yeah. And it clogs doors so that they're forced open. It uh, destroys the room so that you can't use it to do things like grab an oxygen canister. And you have a wide variety of detrimental effects, including not being able to search. And in a Zombicide game, searching is your lifeblood. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. That's cool. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same basic thing. When it's your turn, you get three actions to spend. You can move, you can search, you can activate doors uh, for free one time per, per turn, or you can uh, use them. You can reorganize or trade equipment with other people in your spot. You can take combat. Combat's either melee or ranged. You can uh, take or activate objectives, just make noise or do nothing at all. Or you can activate via remote control machines that you have access to because there's those little bots and little gun turrets and they have remotes that your characters can grab and if you have that remote you have control of the that that uh that basically npc Hmm. 
And then after you do your three actions and all your all the players do their three actions, the Xenos go. And when the Xenos go, they activate pretty much the same way as uh, other Zombicide games. They get two actions uh, and they have a default set of rules where they want to move towards uh, sound or any visible uh, people and then try and attack them. How does the creep spread? Also, I'm looking at the Kickstarter goals and there's a totally not Rick and Morty. I just realized. Good times. <laughs> yes, there is. All right, so there's there's a giant kind of monster called a spoiler abomination, and it's the the big mama jama of the game, and the the spoiler abomination spreads mold across rooms and corridors, uh, and if a spoiler abomination is standing in a room or a corridor zone that does not have mold, then you get to put active mold in that area. Mm. Uh, mold, mold comes in two flavors: active and inactive, and there's some some different sub rules for it, but basically. Active mold cannot be searched. Uh, it screws up line of sight rules. And if you use Hellfire, uh, which is like a flamethrower or something, you can actually take the active mold and put it over into its inactive side. And a spoiler abomination can actually take inactive mold and reactivate it. That That's kind of silly. The way you reactivate sourdough starter is you just put a little bit more flour and yeast or flour and water in it and just. <laughs> Well, the thing about mold is it's one of the loss conditions of the game. You can lose if a chain of mold gets too large. I dig it. I dig it. I mean, it had me at Zerg Creep. Anything else about how the game plays? Beyond that, beyond everything that we've, we've discussed right there, I mean, this is pretty much Zombicide Black Plague, for, for better or worse. If you enjoy this sort of thing, it's it's quite a lot of fun. One of the things I do like is it's, it's got a much better distribution of different ty- equipment types and whatnot. Uh, which is really cool because that makes uh, you know searching a little more fun because you never know what you're going to get. And it's like the, a box of chocolates. It is indeed. And the 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 critters are, I mean, they're pretty by the book zombies in terms of their movement and the way they behave. But because of the science fiction flavor, I I found myself enjoying it quite a bit more. Since you were just looking up the rule book about mold, how is that rule book? Rule book's pretty straightforward. Uh, walks you through setup. It's got a good index in the back, which I appreciate. It's also got a really nice game round summary on the back page so that you can just put your rule book on the table and have pretty much every every reminder that you need. And more than 50% of the book is dedicated to missions and scenarios, which is pretty cool. And you said it had an index, which is good. That you took my question away. How dare you, sir? Uh, okay, yeah. so we're going to get to the red and butter of any Simon game components man it's full of pretty miniatures you know what i liked about this one like going through the miniatures the i remember when we initially saw this game you said that the the vibe of the game was a lot more dead space but i never played dead space so i actually like that the aliens in it aren't like you know totally not filling the blank alien from another franchise they are kind of their own thing they're zombie-esque but they're you know technically and gross and i i couldn't identify at least the basic ones with any critter from sci-fi, which I appreciated. It was kind of its own beast. And that was nice. You know, they're trying, no, it's, it's very distinctly got its own design philosophy and it, it, it feels like its own franchise. It doesn't borrow heavily from anything on, on the alien front, on the soldier front. It is totally cribbing from space Marines from 40 K. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> sorry. I was, I was making a contextual comment to what you said. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, on on the soldier front, like they are borrowing hev- heavily from pop culture, which you know, yeah. in in good zombicide fashion, is I guess what you do because that's usually how they roll anyway. 
I am liking some I of did, the Kickstarter I did, goals. I, I I mentioned Rick and Morty and, and Doc Brown, but there's also like a Stephen Hawking and uh, or Stephen Hawking. No, some not, some of the Kickstarter goals are really really fun. They actually had to change a bunch because they were a little too close. Oh, whoops, whoopsie. Uh, there there was one thing I I forgot to mention about the the rule set, which oh. I found kind of interesting. There's a lot of rules in there for tuning the difficulty. Uh, there's even rules for letting you go all the way up to 12 survivors, basically two base boxes. Wow. Well, that's good because you got so much stuff, like so many Kickstarter ones. It's nice that you could use a lot more of them in one game if you feel the urge to have a mega game. Yeah, absolutely. They give you rules for what's called uh, rules, excuse me, for what's called ultra red mode. And in ultra red mode, it's um, basically your when your survivor reaches the the highest experience level, the experience tracker goes back to the beginning, and you can continue to add experience. But there are negative effects uh, to getting all that extra experience. Hmm. It has you add a bunch of additional spawn tokens when you're playing with beyond six players, which uh, it's kind of interesting because it makes it makes the concept of the horde very very real. Uh, additionally, they also have rules in there and the way the, the enemy cards are set up so that you can tune your game uh, difficulty. So if you play and you feel like it was too hard, there's a section of cards that you could remove to, to make it just kind of bring it down one level of difficulty. And that's something that I do not recall being in the previous Zombicide games. I, I, I kind of made note of it as, as being a nice fresh addition, making it a little more accessible. Well, speaking of which, um, and, and let's, again, we've talked about several of the other Zombicide games, so let's put it like this. Uh, is there anything unique to this game that is off in the execution of it? Off? No, absolutely not. The color palette's a little weird. Like, it's it's kind of muted, kind of a, a lot of rusty colors. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. It's space. But, so, any any quibbles you have with Zombicide, you're probably going to have with this. It doesn't stray far from it. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, look. It really does boil down to this. If you're a fan of Zombicide, you're going to like it. If you're not a fan of Zombicide, this isn't doing anything different to, to draw you in. And so you have to play with six players no matter what. So I'm assuming the optimal play, you know, player count is six. Uh, if you go north of six with those special rules, does it does it scale or do you have to play with 12? Like, does it double it? No, no, no. It scales. You can do seven to nine, nine to 11 and then 12. OK, it's is the way it b- breaks it down. Okay, well, that's cool. So, have you played above six players, then? No, I haven't had a chance to. But based on what they say and the way the game behaves, the the, the rule changes... Well, pardon me, the, the additional spawns make sense. Because it will balance out the number of enemies on there. So, would you say six players is the ideal one? Because everybody controlling one dude is probably the optimal way to play? You know, honestly, it, 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 any number of players works because it's just a matter of having the same number of guys on the on the, the board at any given time. So you can play it alone. It works really well. Uh, you can play it with uh, everybody gets two and you have three players. Uh, you can play it with four players and two people have two. And it always works. It, it, it works quite well. I prefer having one player uh, or pardon me, one character per player because it gives you some more opportunities to maybe have some role-playing or, or get, have people get a little more attached to their characters, and that's always fun. All right, and I think, we're, I think we're there already. Jonathan, if you had one last thing to say about this game, which you do right now, what would it be? It's a beautiful package. Everything that you've come to, to know and expect from CMON in terms of model quality and overall build quality. I really like the addition of Mold. It, it adds a neat little wrinkle uh, to your existing Zombicide strategies, meaning that they're not going to work anymore, which is great. I like the difficulty tuning. 
Uh, and I like how flexible it is that it's very approachable for the, the, the Zombicide player that has already played a bunch uh, and is just looking for the next challenge. Cool. Well, that is Zombicide from... Actually, it's not Simon, isn't it? It's Come On Games. Come on! Come on! Available now at the curb of your friendly local gaming store, I hope. I would assume... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's out in the wild. Yeah, there you go. So go pay for it in advance and pick it up at the curb and uh, wipe it off with a uh, a bleach wipe or some sort of sterilizing agent at your friendly local gaming store or in front of your friendly local gaming store, as it were at the moment. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means we are at the end of another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast, Robert. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 85 in the bag. Yeah, we're, our countdown to 100 is uh, creeping up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As always, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to continue this conversation with you. Uh, Ray, send us details, buddy. Send us details. Uh, Robert, any final thoughts? So, yeah, I, uh, I made up a schedule of uh, the Bond movies we're going to watch. And including the rhythm section, and assuming we don't in- add in anything else, we are we are looking to hit 104 by the time we're done with this insanity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which which puts us where? That's next year, right? Early next. Year. Early next year. Yeah. I am honestly really excited about watching Never Say Never again. I want to see if the Bond creep comes back. <laughs> <laughs> And then we get to watch A View to a Kill, which is just a great movie. I'm genuinely excited about that one. And then we get to watch The Living Daylights, which is Timothy Dalton, which we've had a, a long and torrid love affair with Timothy Dalton on this podcast. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> I don't mind those movies. They, they were a little darker, which I thought was appropriate and, and definitely speaks to the time period. Yeah, but man, Timothy Dalton. That guy could dramatically read his laundry list or his, his washing like what he oh, put in the washing machine me. yeah yeah i'd watch that he'd have me if he did yeah yeah that's about it stay safe everybody with that robert be excellent to one another and party on party on jonathan the music you heard in this podcast was intro by elithiel additional music was provided by brian winkleman funding for the forgot my dice podcast was provided by our supporters on patreon thank you 